Spirit of the living God, we invite you to turn the eyes of our hearts onto you. As we begin this season of Lent, a time that's set apart for specifically focusing on the sacrifice of Christ. Father, tune our eyes to you. This evening, as we walk through the service, God, we invite you and your spirit and your word to turn us to you. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration, there should be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation. During this season, converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when persons who had committed serious sins and had separated themselves from the community of faith were reconciled through confession and forgiveness and restored to participation in the life of the church. In this way, the whole congregation was reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need we all have to renew our faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the crucified and risen Lamb of God, to observe a special and set-apart season of remembrance during Lent, by self-examination and repentance, by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. The theme for our service this evening comes from Hebrews chapter 12, where the writer of Hebrews exhorts the people of God to fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. As we read scripture together, sing songs and hymns, and listen to God's word, I invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus, particularly focusing on his journey to the cross. Often the first step towards seeing Jesus correctly is through the confession of our sins and the confession of our constant need for him. Confession is a vital step of repentance, through confession and repentance, we come honestly before God, allowing his spirit to examine our lives and to speak his word of truth, discipline, forgiveness, and reconciliation into our hearts. To make an intentional beginning of repentance and as a mark of our mortal and finite nature, if you are physically able, I invite you to kneel now before our creator and redeemer. And in the quietness of your hearts, I invite you to make to take a moment to confess the following words to Jesus. So this is, if you're physically able, um, would you kneel and uh, spend time for a few moments meditating on these words and confession? If you're not physically able, I just invite you to sit where you are. The words on the screen. Our need, we confess, God, our need for you. We confess our sin and rebellion and pride. And we turn our eyes to you. Jesus, we confess our need for you. We confess our sin and rebellion and pride. And we turn our eyes to you. Amen. We invite you to stand, and we're going to do some call and response reading together. I'll read the portion of scripture that's on the right, and then I invite uh, the congregation to respond in reading together the words that are underlined and bolded on the left. This is Psalm 116. 
I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in the midst of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. We praise you, Lord. We worship you. Be seated. This is from Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We're going to sing next, Create in Me a Clean Heart. During this song, I invite you to remain seated. And then the next song we sing, there is a fountain. I invite the congregation to stand when we sing that. So during this song, reflect on the words, invite the Lord um, as you sing and meditate on the words to work within you a renewed spirit in this season. I'm read now from Hebrews chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Would you uh, please read with me? And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administrated justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes and in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn our hearts and minds to your word, 
prepare to hear your word from our brother Dave. I sense you inviting us to ponder this for a moment. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We turn our eyes to you, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we might consider you to learn from your example, to walk with your humility, to take up our cross in obedience to you, to not lose faith, but to walk with endurance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. And these three verses that we just read uh, as a part of the, uh, the passage that we read this in just a couple seconds ago. Um, Lent... Each Lenten season, we're called to reflect and prepare ourselves for the celebration of Easter, right? Uh, perhaps you uh, didn't know that Lent is an old English word that uh, means lengthen. And Lent always occurs in the spring when the days are beginning to lengthen. That's where that comes from. More hours of daylight. So what are you giving up for Lent? Used to be a common question that many people considered and took seriously at this time of the year. And years gone by, Christians would fast for the 40 days of Lent, fast with something, not, not 100%, of course. The 40 days represent Jesus' uh, temptation in the wilderness, his fasting in the wilderness. Some people would give up meat. When I was a kid, there was no meat on Friday in the school cafeteria. The cafeteria menu would reflect that, so we'd either have macaroni and cheese or fish. And I saw this meme just this week. You know that it's nearing Ash Wednesday, and I don't know if you've noticed, but they're advertising the fish sandwiches on, uh, on the media. Today, it's more common for people to give up a, a favorite food, like uh, chocolate, perhaps. Others give up a vice or a bad habit during Lent. You know, this list uh, has a lot of different ones on. A bad habit, maybe they give up alcohol for Lent or smoking. Somehow that just doesn't seem to fit in with the message of Lent, at least for me. Especially if one picks up right where they left off when Easter is over, you know, and, and Lent is completed. Doing penance has also been a part of Lent in some religious practices. This involves confession, which we talked about this morning and in, or this evening and engaged in, the repenting of sin. And then penance includes being given something to do to make up for the wrongs that have been committed. It seems to me that this should be, be the way that we live all the time. Instead of waiting for Lent, we should be regularly confessing our sins and repenting of our sins as soon as possible. And as far as doing something to make up for the wrongs that we've, complete, that we've committed, you know, I don't personally believe in that. We never want to get the idea that we can wipe out our sins by doing something, doing something good. It's not within our power to erase our sins. 
Now, if those good deeds are an indication of a true and repentant heart, yeah, yeah, absolutely, by all means. But it should be a lifestyle change, a permanent change, and not some action that we do in order to be able to check it off in the forgiveness column and then figure we're done and go back to our old ways. You know, uh, what I'm really trying to say is that we should be, guinea, we should be uh, continually examining our faith practices. As a people of the book, we should be continually holding our practices up alongside of Scripture uh, and find what we find in Scripture and evaluating them. And this evening, and hopefully all during Lent, I want to encourage us all to focus on the reflection aspect as we approach Easter. You know, Christmas has pretty well taken over in the popularity column for holidays. But for us as Christians, Easter should be at the top of the list. After all, that's when Jesus defeated sin and death. And he defeated death not just for himself when he rose from the grave. He defeated it for us as well. And that causes us to celebrate. He defeated the grip that death has on us. You know the familiar... Easter hymn, Christ the Lord is risen today, made like him, like him we rise, part of it goes. And that, brothers and sisters, is something to celebrate. But you see, Jesus paid a price for the eternal salvation that is given to us. Yes, it's a free gift, but it wasn't free for Jesus. It cost him dearly. And Lent provides us with an opportunity to reflect on that cost, to really count the cost, to consider the sacrifice that Jesus made on each of our behalf. And as part of that reflection for us as members of the Church of the Brethren, that's Love Feast. Love Feast, which we will celebrate on Palm Sunday, is our full communion service where we attempt to experience the upper room as Jesus experienced it with his disciples by reenacting and participating in this experience, we attempt to recapture the deep meaning and the messages of this Last Supper and these last times that Jesus spent with his followers before his arrest and his trial and his crucifixion. Reflection that has with it a component of doing, not just mental reflection, but the component of doing, like Love Feast, can really be very effective. A part of our reflection during Lent is on the cross, the cross of Christ, an implement of torture and death in Jesus' time. And as Protestants, in, the crosses in our churches are empty, aren't they? Those crosses celebrate the risen Lord, the resurrection, and Easter Sunday. But if you've ever been to a Catholic church, you realize very quickly that the cross that's displayed there above the altar is very different. And instead of being empty, it has Jesus on that cross, just like this crucifix. I think this is probably the first time that a crucifix has been in this church, I guess. I don't know. Um, this particular crucifix uh, belonged to Connie's mother's family. and We're in the process of cleaning out her dad's house, and uh, nobody laid claim to this. And it had been in the Hettenbach family for a number of years. So I said, yeah, I, I'll take that cross, you know. I, I, I think that I would like to keep that in my study. And the reason I did is because it helps me uh, as a reminder. It serves as a reminder for 
at least two times when I was confronted with the crucified Christ. The first time was in 1967 when I was 13 years old. Our family attended a wedding at Sacred Heart Church in Royersford. I had never been in a Catholic church before that day and before that wedding. And as soon as we entered that sanctuary, the cross caught my eye. It wasn't empty. There was Jesus hanging on it, dead, a crown of thorns on his head, his arms suspended from two nails, and even his side was pierced. Why, we asked our parents, why do they have a cross like that hanging in their church? Now, I don't remember my dad's exact words, but he basically said something like, in our church, we focus on the risen Christ, and in the Catholic Church, they focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made. And I found an explanation online, and I like this. It says, the purpose of the crucifix has always been to display the immense love of Jesus Christ and the love that he had for all humanity. And it reminds us of the hope of the resurrection won by the victory, uh, that victory of Jesus' passion. Now, granted, I was only 13, and I was very uh, spiritually immature, but I didn't get any hope when I looked at that cross the first time in the Sacred Heart Church in Royersford. What I did get was an immense feeling of sadness, and I can still remember having that feeling. But for me, with that sadness came a better understanding of what happened on the cross and what it stands for. The second time that I was confronted with the crucified Christ was almost exactly 10 years ago. Um, I was in, uh, it was in May of 2010, and I was in Oberammergau, Germany, for the Passion Play. The Passion Play that they only perform once, uh, not once, they perform it every 10 years, but they perform it a number of times every 10 years. And in Oberammergau is this uh, cathedral, beautiful cathedral. We were participating in a guided, uh, and rather a self-guided tour, and you can see how ornate it is on, on the inside. I was taking pictures, I took this picture, and then I saw that there was a balcony, and I thought that I might get a better overall shot of the sanctuary if I got up into that balcony. And there was nobody to stop me. I found the, the staircase, it was a winding, narrow staircase that went up to the balcony, and as I exited the door, at the top of the steps, this is what I came face to face with. Right? I mean, I'm holding the camera right in front of my face, and I took that picture. That's what I, I was confronted with. It was Jesus and me in the balcony. Eye to feet. Not eye to eye, but eye to feet. And it was a moment. It was a real moment. And I couldn't take my eyes off of those feet. And I wanted to take the spike out, is what I wanted to do. And I wanted to touch those feet, which I did. And then with tears in my eyes, I looked up. And this is the full crucifix. Notice I was standing on the, the left side there. And so when I looked up, there was Jesus' face facing me. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this. Thank you for dying for me, 
for me. You know, while we don't have crucifixes in our church, there, there is a time to contemplate the crucified Christ. And that time is now. It's during Lent. That's when we do it. In fact, I would pray that each and every one of us would be in some way confronted, confronted with the crucified Christ in the next 40 days. And I would further pray that that confrontation would result in change, a change in attitude, a change in heart, a change in perspective, a change in motivation, a change in spiritual practice, a change in our daily living, all of which would serve to bring us closer to God, be more fully in tune with his son Jesus, and better connected to his Holy Spirit. We need to allow ourselves to get in touch with the emotions that are a part of Lent. And I just got this book for our grandchildren. It's called Holy Week and Emotions Primer. And it talks about the different events of Holy Week. Here's Jesus cleansing the temple, and it talks about anger, um, feet washing in the upper room, love, and so on. Jesus in the garden, overwhelmed. And it's a great way to introduce kids to those emotions. But we need to be contemplating those emotions as well. Now let's take a quick look at our scripture for tonight. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Now these three verses provide us with an almost perfect description of how we should live our lives. You know, almost everything is there. And it specifically, it describes how we should engage in Lent. And if you have your Bible, open it to Hebrews 12. The verses will also, this verse, these three verses will stay up on the screen as, as we go through this. But the first part says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You know, we are so fortunate to have those who have gone before us. Hebrews chapter 11 has just finished talking about all those who have gone before us. The giants in the faith, that great cloud of witnesses. But it's not limited to the Old Testament. There were so many in the New Testament as well. But even closer to home, for each of us, there's a great cloud of witnesses in our own lives. In our own lives. And certainly we have that at, here at PFC. Many faithful believers who have served to inspire us and spur us onward. Let us throw everything Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, I was just getting ready to leave the house, and our one-year-old granddaughter had just gotten a bath. She had only a diaper on. She was running down the hallway and into the living room, and her diaper was slipping down. And it got further and further, and just as she got to the kitchen, she just went like this and kicked it off. And I thought, there it is. <laughs> Throw off everything that hinders. <laughs> everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, as Christians, we are to jettison everything and anything that gets in the way of our relationship with God. Anything. You know, uh, DJ has designed a, a Lenten experience for us that includes fasting from certain things during Lent. This week, starting today, is fasting from hurry. And we are asked to keep a track of our time throughout each day this week. That should be very enlightening, hour by hour. The other things which include social media, our phones, non-food shopping, and so on, 
are not just things that we're to give up. There's a practice to replace each, and that's so important. That's so critical. There's something that we are to do thoughtfully and reflectively to replace them. And I strongly encourage you to participate in all of these. Then we have the end of verse 1. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. This race that we're supposed to run is not a dash. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And we're to run it with perseverance. We're to follow the markings, those indicators of where and how we're to run as we discover them in the word and as we discover them in and through other believers as part of that great cloud of witnesses. And then verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. This is our true focus. It really is. Everything we do, especially during this season of Lent, should point us to Christ, to his life and his death, both his sacrifice in dying as well as his sacrifices in living. The next section talks about uh, what it was that Jesus did. He was the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As a pioneer of the faith, Jesus cleared the way, didn't he? He cleared the way, and in doing so, he perfected the faith. Remember his words, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then we don't, also, we don't want to misunderstand uh, the, the next part of the description of what Jesus did. Enduring the cross, it says there, for the joy set before him. That was, the cross was not joy for Christ. It was not. But the joy that he knew he would realize as a result of his obedience was, so, it's really what enabled him to endure, to fulfill his purpose. Jesus rarely talked about being crucified, but he did talk about being glorified. You see, the cross was his glory. It brought glory to him and glory to his Father God as well. So much so that he was able to scorn the shame. There's a phrase that I don't think would occur anywhere else. He was able to scorn the shame of it all, succeeding by sitting down at the throne of God, the right hand of God. You know, how do you think anybody who finds themselves in God's presence is going uh, to be? Do you think they're going to sit down? I don't think so. They're either going to stay standing or they're going to fall to their knees, fall to their face. But they're not gonna, we're not going to sit down beside God. Only Jesus has that right. Jesus' successful completion, his victorious return to the throne room of God, enabled him to assume his rightful place at his Father's right hand. Verse 3 provides us with another approach to running the race that is set before us. Consider whom who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's another admonition, really, to fix our eyes on Jesus and to be encouraged by the example that he gave us. Let's read this, these three verses together again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, on Sunday when Josh Spitework preached, he told us that if we ever wake up grumpy, we should go out and attack something. And I read my notes later and I thought, well, that might not come across too well to just everybody who might read that. But Josh was talking about attacking a problem, attacking a need, and working to fulfill that need. Putting our words, putting our faith into action. You know, too often we separate our faith from everyday lives. And the world can't tell us apart as Christians from anybody else, except maybe perhaps on a Sunday morning. You see, we have to have something called simultaneity. Simultaneity means that at one and the same time, we're to go about our daily lives, and at the exact same time, simultaneously, we are to bring Jesus along with us at every step, every moment of the day. We need to do a better job of simultaneity. We really do, of connecting these two worlds together. And we do it by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Brother Lawrence was a 17th century monk who worked in a kitchen. He washed dishes, but he was respected for possessing a deep inner communion with God. He believed that those who thought times of corporate worship drew one closer to God suffered from a great delusion, as he put it. With words that are still relevant today, Brother Lawrence said, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to, remember, to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business, our everyday common business, wholly for the love of him? Wouldn't the world be a different place? if we followed those words of Brother Lawrence, as well as uh, the uh, verses in, in uh, Colossians 3, if we took them to heart. You know, it says in Colossians 3, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what Lent calls us to embrace and doing so equips us to live every day for him. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that during this Lenten season, you would help us to focus on your son, Jesus, and him alone. Help us to fix our eyes on him. Take him with us wherever we are, whatever we do, wherever we go. Help us to be reminded that it is Jesus that we, who we carry with us and be reminded of the sacrifice that he made both in dying on Calvary's cross for us and in living a life of servanthood. We ask this in his name. Amen. Next, we're going to sing uh, the song, Hallelujah, What a Savior, the, the hymn. Um, this has become my favorite song.
during the season of Lent over the last several years. And so um, you can remain seated and really take a posture of meditation on the words of thinking through our crucified uh, Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We're now going to um, do the ashes together and the painting. As we do so, I invite you to reflect on this verse from Colossians chapter 2, where it says, When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. The record of wrongs, other translation says, he has taken and nailed it to the cross. So as we come up front, Liz is going to be playing music uh, instrumentally. And I invite you just to come up at your own pace um, over the next few minutes. And Gretchen will be up here and you can dip uh, your finger in and anoint the cross. And in it, symbolically, what we're saying is we agree <laughs> that our sins cannot be uh, like Dave said, they cannot be paid for through our actions. They are paid for through the blood of Christ. And so we put them on the cross and trust him there. Gretchen's going to tell us a little bit about the uh, painting and the material. Hi, good evening. Um, I'm really excited to do this with you all tonight um, and humbled because um, the Lord had put on my heart to create some type of art piece for Easter this year. And it kind of wasn't coming exactly what to do and then last week DJ had uh, came up with this idea and I thought oh well this is interesting and, and you know it kind of started building and I'm just really excited to see how this is going to turn out and I think it's going to be very special so um, don't be shy um, please come up and and it may be a little messy we're kind of it, it's kind of the idea of on Easter, many of you have, most of you have been here for an Easter Sunday when we're flowering the cross. It's the same idea. We're just kind of creating our cross tonight. So um, please come up and join us. Oh, the, um, the it's, I, I made the paint. It's actually um, ash uh, and Conti crayon, brown and red, um, mixed with like a medium, an acrylic medium. So it's real paint. It's homemade. Oh, and there are baby wipes over here if you'd like to grab one. So, yeah. thank you. All right, Liz, you can play. I'm going to pray and then just at your own pace come up and uh, take part in this together. Yeah. Father, we uh, just bless you. We thank you for your son. Hallelujah. What a savior. We fix our eyes on you. Just that image that Dave uh, shared with us of being confronted by the crucified Christ. Each of us. Um, who have a relationship with you have been confronted with the crucified Christ. Um, Father, help us remember that this evening. Help us remember that our life has come through your death, that our forgiveness has come through your suffering and through your payment. Help us approach with reverence and awe. Help us remember and thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus.
As we close our service, we're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I invite you to stand um, as we sing that together. When I was in Bible college, I went to, uh, Julie and I went to a school in South Carolina called Columbia International University, and that's the alma mater of Philip Yancey, if you've uh, heard of Philip Yancey. And he came and spoke while I was a freshman there, and he's also a musician, and he led us in singing that song, but he changed the chorus uh, the last time we sang it to, instead of this, things of earth will grow strangely dim, we sang, this, the things of earth will grow strangely clear in the light of his glory and grace. So that's my prayer for you this evening, that as you turn your eyes upon Jesus, focusing on him in this season of Lent, that the things of earth would grow dim in a way, in their uh, hold on you, um, and your desire and your flesh for them, but rather through the Spirit's work in your life, that the things that are happening around you would grow strangely clear uh, through the blood of Christ and through his spirit at work in you. So with this in mind, I'm going to speak these words uh, over us this evening. May we know that we are not the center of the universe. May we know that at the center of all things, holding all things together, is Jesus Christ. May we know who we are, and may we know who we are not. May we rest in the assurance of God's love and forgiveness. May our eyes be fully set upon Christ and our hearts fully devoted to him throughout the Lenten season and throughout our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Go, and as you go, journey with God. Be blessed, and good night.